Hello, and welcome to Scapple's podcast, a weekly roundup of the timely updates on insect and disease management, as well as phenological developments across New York State for apple growers. This is Monique Rivera, your host and assistant professor of entomology at Cornell Agritech. Co-hosting with me is Carrick Cox, associate professor of plant pathology, along with Lika Kalnina, graduate student extraordinaire, and Anna Wallace, fruit IPM coordinator. Welcome to episode 10 of Scaffold's podcast. Crazy that we're already at episode 10. But in this episode, I interview Dr. Jason Londo, associate professor of horticulture, about our recent late season freeze. Kara Cox will discuss the state of diseases in Apple right now, and Lika Kalnina will discuss summer disease forecasts. And lastly, but not least, Anna Wallace will continue our state of the state update on regional developments in degree day accumulation and phenology. Okay, so today we're talking to Dr. Jason Londo. He joined Cornell as associate professor at the same time that I joined Cornell in January of 2022. So he was previously a research geneticist at the USDA ARS and the Grape Genetics Unit and has now formally transitioned over to working on more apples instead of uh, wine grapes and is located also here still at Cornell Agritech campus in Geneva, New York. So Let's hop right into the interview, Jason. One of the most pressing things I think people want to hear about is that over the past couple of weeks, was it last week, we had this late season frost. And so what does that mean for apple trees? Yeah, thanks for having me, Monique. The late season frost is problematic because it damages tissues, right? I think we all understand that freezing temperatures causes tissue damage. And depending on the state that the trees were in when that frost came through, you can have different types of damage. So with the flowering tissue, that can cause damage by killing the ovaries, which will drop your fruit count. If the fruitlets were already formed, then it can cause a lot of surface damage, which can result in things like frost russet towards the end of harvest. In both cases, it decreases the yield and decreases the quality of the fruit that can come from those trees. So when it comes to this late season frost and how it affects grower outcomes, is there anything that can be done to avoid or assist this to be not as detrimental at the end of the season? Well, right now, it depends, again, what state the different apple cultivars were in when the frost hit. So there is a product called Promalin, which you can spray on if the frost hits during flowering. And Promalin sort of works some magic on the plant. It's the hormones that are produced by the developing seeds. And so if you take frost damage and it kills the flowers, you won't have fruit because there won't be any seeds. It'll fall off the tree. But Promalin can fake the tree out, making it think it has seeds. And so it'll keep making fruit. They might not be always the nicest shaped fruit because those seeds are really important for local cell expansion. But you can get a harvest out of that treatment. If the frost occurred and there was fruitlets, you can't really do anything to prevent the russet that occurs from frost. And so that quality hit can't be repaired. To my knowledge, there's no product that can, can fix that situation. The good news is, is that we thin our apple trees anyway. So as long as the frost didn't drop a huge number of the flowers, we'll probably eke out some decent harvest regardless. Yeah, so it seems like with climate change and winter is starting later and we're having this extreme temperature flux, how do you think growers should be thinking of this when it comes to planning for the season? So 
should there be some sort of arsenal of like how to prepare for heat damage and cold damage or or what do you think about that? That is a great question and it's really complicated. Climate change itself is the change in temperatures, precipitation over time, right? So this one event itself is not necessarily climate change. It's if this sort of event occurs with increased frequency over time that we would consider it climate change related. A frost that's this late is hopefully very rare. We were almost past the final frost date when this occurred. So we are close. With changes in the growing season and changes with the temperatures during winter, probably the best defense growers can have is to have diversity in what they grow. The different cultivars have different phenology. So they shut down at different times. They wake up at different times. And your best defense against erratic weather is having a panel of different apples that respond to climate differently. That way you're not being taken out by any one event. Wow, that's so cool. I really have never thought of it like that, but that definitely brings interesting questions also to my work. So I also wanted to end this conversation on asking you what your program is focusing on. So I know you're doing cold work and also climate change work, but do you have some grand overall questions that your lab is approaching? Yeah, my program is fruit crop physiology with a focus on climate adaptation, and it's split between apples and grapes. And I do have a research and extension appointment. So I'm, I'm trying to do a lot of different things. With the apples, we're looking into cold hardiness so that we have a better idea of which rootstocks and scions are going to be more resistant to warm-ups in the middle of winter. And that is going to reduce frost and freeze damage over time. With our summer program, we're looking into how temperature and precipitation affect fruit finish disorders. We're very good at growing apples in this state. We're going to be able to grow apples in this state for a very long time. What we want to do is reduce how climate is affecting the overall quality of those crops and those harvests. And so we're looking into how climate variation is affecting fruit finish. That's going to be a huge issue coming forward. And when it comes to fruit finish, I guess because I'm an entomologist, I don't really know much about this, (laughs) but there's so many different things that affect fruit finish. And do you think climate is a primary one? Yeah, that's a great question. It's definitely a contributor. Well, we just mentioned this frost russet that we're likely to see. Of course, that's climate related. As we have differences in growth rates between high volume rain and then drought and lots of increases in temperature, that's going to affect how the fruit is swelling and expanding. And that has an impact on fruit finish. Basically, anything that affects how the plant is able to partition between vegetative and reproductive growth has a potential to impact finish. And of course, there's all kinds of other physiological things we want to fix in apples as it comes up. It's just that fruit finish is where the dollar comes in. And so if we can make even a small impact there from a climate adaptation point of view, it can really help the growers. Awesome. Jason, this has been really interesting. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Talk to you again soon. Hello, everyone. This is Liga Astrakalnina back here for another episode of Scaffolds. As a reminder, I am Kerrig's graduate student here at Cornell Agritech working on fungal disease management in apples. 
So usually I do disease forecasting updates, but as for most of the state, the primary ASCO spore release for apple scab is over, I thought we could transition into summer diseases, more specifically talking about Flyspec Sudi Watch and their management and how we can use disease forecasting to help it manage. So I will start by giving a little bit of an overview of the disease, and then I will talk about later how I'm going to be doing the disease forecasts and updates for these. So, flyspeck and sooty blotch usually will develop over time during time periods of very high humidity. So they are favored by prolonged cloudy weather, frequent showers, dense tree canopies, and clustered fruit. Flyspeck sooty batch can be a bigger problem in older, higher density orchards. Once these colonies form, secondary infection can happen from canidal infection that causes the fungus to spread during warm, wet, humid weather. In warmer regions, where the disease occurs more regularly, such as Long Island and Hudson Valley, it is common for the infections to be initiated during the early cover spray period. It can stop development during the hot and dry midsummer, but then finish incubating and finally become more apparent when conditions become more favorable towards the end of the summer as more humidity appears. Because both of these diseases, so flyspeck sooty blotches a complex, are so dependent on long periods of extreme humidity around the fruit, annual pruning to open up the tree canopies and promote air circulation can minimize the periods favorable for their development. It can also be helpful to have supplementary summer pruning in dense canopy trees as it can provide significant additional benefits in some years. Most of the inoculum actually stems from the outside of the orchard. Some good sources of this inoculum often come from alternate hosts such as wild brambles, vines, shrubs, and hedgerows. The need for and timing of fungicide sprays to control these diseases is variable among orchards and years. So in parts of the state where it is warmer and more humid throughout the summer, the infections can occur more regularly. So applications should start around first cover and can be repeated as necessary according to the prevailing weather conditions and material being used. Flyspeck sooty blotch disease predictions usually begin in petal fall. So usually your apple scab, power mildew cover sprays that you make during petal fall, first and second cover will cover your initial flyspeck sooty blotch infection periods. So when it comes to flyspeck sooty blotch ascospores, they're released during rain, similarly to apple scab. For a one to two month period starting petal fall, and they can start causing infection two to three weeks after petal fall. So for most of the state, we are in this time frame currently. Once flyspeck sooty blotch spores land on fruit, they germinate in temperatures somewhere between 61 and 83 degrees Fahrenheit and begin to establish a fungus colony on the fruit surface. A cumulative amount of 270 hours of leaf wetness or wetting hours is required for flyspeck sooty blotch to show up on fruit. The largest risk is also after these 270 wetting hours, especially in orchards near groves or woods where secondary infections can stem from, can cause continuing infections on fruit. Some products that arrest flyspeck sooty blotch development include Sovran, Flint Extra, Marivon, Pristine, or even Inspire Super. Once the fungicide residue is depleted, the flyspeck sooty blotch populations will be able to resume growing. So these fungicide applications should be renewed every 40 to 21 days, so every two to three weeks, or when there is more than three inches of rainfall, so the residue will be washed away. So these can be timed with your summer cover sprays. So as of right now, you should be protected if you have made your first or second cover fungicide application 
for apple scab is they will keep your populations low. With this prolonged dry hot weather as of we have right now, there's currently no risk of fly spike sooty blotch infections. Once prolonged wetting periods are predicted, I'll be able to provide management and timing recommendations based on disease forecasting. So I'll be back next week or the week after to give you updates on fly spec sooty blotch infection periods, as well as big infection events for secondary aposcab infections based on the Mills table. Okay. Well, what do we got this week? This is Carrot coming at you from Cornell Agritech for some tree fruit pathology updates. So I want to talk about the Memorial Day heat wave and diseases. Yep, we had a really cold bloom. We had a pretty cold petal fall. But sadly, in New York, we're having another Memorial Day, Memorial Week heat wave. Last couple of apple seasons have been characterized by fairly cold bloom and a pretty hot post-bloom thinning period. And we've had mostly a pretty cool petal fall thinning period, but now it's starting to really heat up this week with another massive heat wave of temperatures going in to almost the 90s, depending on where you are in the state by the week's end. What does this mean for the different diseases? All right, fire blight. In Geneva, I'm already seeing the first blighted clusters and ooze droplets on untreated trees. Now, trees that were managed for fire blight don't seem to be showing any symptoms. I started looking a little bit more at fruitlet slash former flower populations on untreated trees, and they were all really low throughout the cold bloom, but have been quickly rising over the weekend. So if you still have any bloom remaining, protect your crop this week and consider making an application of perhexidione calcium, rapidurio kudos, to slow down any shoot blight that might be a result of some early season infections. We had some spikes of hot weather, but they were quickly cooled down a day or two later. But if something slipped through, that perhexidione calcium should slow down the growth in this really hot weather and allow that sort of fire blight to peter out, if it even got started. So as I say or said all winter long, uh, finish strong this season if you have any bloom left, and hopefully you won't see any fire blight this year. Now what about apple scab? The heat wave is great for getting rid and keeping apple scab down. The pathogen's ability to grow and infect apples is really favored in cool, wet weather, like we had earlier in the season with all the rain. The good news is, with more than five days of temperatures greater than 85 degrees Fahrenheit, you can kill off any sporulating lesions that might have resulted from earlier ascospore infections. So this heat wave is actually good for apple scab. And this hot weather will also give you a little bit of management edge so that you can leave that captan out during the thinning period and just focus on the other single site fungicide diseases until we get out of the thinning type weather and stages of the apple season. Now, what about powdery mildew? Now, it's a different story. Like fire blight, powdery mildew populations can really surge in this warm, dry weather. If you left unmanaged, things can get really moving. Our unmanaged Iderid orchards in Geneva, the powdery mildew seems so heavy that it's actually blighting shoots and clusters. It's hard to tell the difference between what killed the shoot. Is it fire blight or is it powdery mildew? Or are they working in concert together? Because that's where some of our fire blight trials are. Now, the early season rains probably gave it enough moisture to keep those populations well under well and allow those infections to develop and they're now sort of exploding in this warm dry weather. Now Captain and Mancozab have little effect on powdery mildew so you can just leave them out during the thinning period until that's over. You don't need them in there anyway. They, chances are you might end up injuring some fruit in this rather hot weather with some of the more tectant type fungicides. Now the best fungicide chemistries for powdery mildew include those DMIs and the more soluble ones and some of the QOIs are actually quite good. So if you're going for the single site fungicide combo this time, pick a mix that's a QOI SDHI 
or a DMI analytopyrimidine. And these are all fairly safe to use during the thinning period. All right, that's all I got for this week. Next week, we'll be talking about some summer diseases. All right, have a good one. And now for the state of the state. As usual, your weekly roundup of degree day accumulations and phenology from the major fruit production regions of the state. Information has been aggregated from the regional specialists, NUA, and MINA observations. This week, across the state, the temperature has taken a new turn with unseasonable heat, and this has accelerated development and pest activity. Overall, degree day accumulations for the season continue to be very close to average compared to the last 20 years. But this year also continues to be an example of extreme temperature and weather events, which are becoming more and more common. As Carrick said, conditions are very hot and dry. It's important to be providing water where possible, especially for young, high-density plantings. According to the Northeast Regional Climate Center website, which is linked in the show notes, over the past week, most of the state received less than a quarter of an inch of rainfall. It's generally been drier in the far western part of the state and in the Hudson Valley. For the entire month of May, the state has received only about 50 to 75 percent of the average precipitation compared to the past 30 years. There currently is not a drought warning in effect for most regions of the state, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor website, but that is likely to change if conditions stay dry as expected. You can continue to monitor that as well using the links in the show note. That includes the U.S. Drought Monitor and the Northeast Regional Climate Center websites. This week, most of the state is at the height of the thinning window or just beyond in earlier locations. Continue to look for thinning recommendations from the regional teams and use the NUA platform to assist with your decision-making. In the Hudson Valley, there are many healthy fruit present on trees in many locations. These fruit are in the range of 20 to 30 millimeters, and there are many smaller fruit in the 15 to 20 millimeter range, which may or may not hang on, depending on frost damage and thinning. In the Lake Ontario region, most fruit is between the 8 to 10 millimeter window, but some petals are still present on later varieties and sites. In Geneva this week, a little further inland than Lake Ontario sites, Macintosh and Gala King fruitlets are at approximately 12 to 15 millimeters. In the Capital Region, fruit is at about 15 to 20 millimeters. And in the Champlain Valley, Mac, Honeycrisp, and Cortland, Kings are between 10 to 15 millimeters and Galas are a little smaller. The end of the week looks like the best thinning window. We're continuing to track degree days, base 43 as an indicator of insect activity, both Degree Day 43 and Base 50 are summarized in the table in the show notes, as usual. You can also find the average range of degree day accumulations for phenology and arthropod pest activity in the Cornell Tree Fruit Guidelines in Table 714. Degree day accumulations and some of the most relevant timings are in the show notes. Here are a few things that are active now. Plum Curculio is still active, and we found more scarred apple, pear, and cherry fruitlets in locations across western New York this week. They continue to be active from petal fall until we accumulate about 300 degree day base 50. In Geneva, we're at about 100 degree day base 50, so keep covered. OFM flight in Geneva is near the tail end, and the end of this week is good timing for Western New York to be applying an insecticide targeting larvae this weekend for sites further behind or closer to the lake. But only do this where you have known problems. This pest is not economically significant in many locations. Codling moth in Geneva and western New York numbers increased this week. Next week is likely the best time for a material targeting larvae in most of western New York. OBLR moths have not been detected in Geneva or western New York yet, 
Make sure to be hanging traps now to monitor for first flight. Rosy and green apple aphids continue to be active throughout the state. European apple sawfly scars on small fruit lips have been observed throughout the state as well. And San Jose scale is another insect to be monitoring now. Adults are typically active at about this time. More apple leaf curling midge has been reported in the Lake Ontario region in isolated locations. Remember, this is a new pest relatively that has become significant in the Champlain Valley and in Ontario, so it's important to pay attention to. Lesser peach tree borer moths are continuing their flight in Geneva, and our first dogwood borer adult moth captures were recorded this week in Geneva. In terms of diseases, as Carrick reported, we've seen quite a lot of powdery mildew this week. Look for twisted terminals covered with the white powdery sporulation. This disease prefers really humid conditions, but no free water, so weather this season that has been dry and hot has been more conducive to infections. We've also seen some signs and symptoms of apple scab and fire blight showing up throughout western New York, primarily in untreated or research site types of locations. And finally, here's the rundown of degree day base 43 accumulations from newer weather stations throughout the state. As usual, they're in the show notes for your reference also. For reference, petal fall is typically around 500 degree day base 43. As of the end of the day Thursday, June 1st, degree day accumulations were in Geneva, 774, Highland, 1,028, Clifton Park, 867, Peru, 720, Medina, 717, Appleton North, 644, Fairville, the Apple Shed, 725, Williamson Deemery, 686. And that concludes this week's updates. We hope you enjoy this format of communication, and we hope that you'll provide us feedback on the format over time. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 